and the word declares, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to, to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and, and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in the night, in his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the ones who please God. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. Uh, just for a few moments, I want to preach uh, from the subject title, um, things to consider, things to consider. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for the blessing that you give us uh, to be able to be in your word and to be able to dig deep into the scriptures. Um, God, I am convinced and convicted that when your word is preached, your voice is heard. God, I, I just want to hear your voice this morning. God, I, I just want you to speak to us in a clear and significant way. God, we're going to be careful to diligently study. But God, give us attentive hearts. God, give us clear minds. God, allow us to block out what we have going on tomorrow or this afternoon, God, that we will be able to focus on you. We love you, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, if you are like most people... There came a point in time last week when you realized that you needed to get more done than you probably could get done. There came a point in time when you began to look at all the things left undone and you probably began to ask the question, how in the world am I going to get all these things done? I want to go out on a limb this morning and simply say, that that thinking is not, or probably is not reserved to last week, but is usually common in most weeks. When you begin to think about uh, life and all that you have going on, it's easy for us to begin to think that I will never get everything accomplished. When I am behind at work, when I'm behind at home, when I have gotten behind on the New Year's resolution to read more or the New Year's resolution to work out more, when I have gotten behind on everything possible, it's easy for me to begin to think that way. We usually begin to think that way when we come to a place where we understand that there is not enough uh, hours in a day and not, not enough minutes in an hour for us to get everything done that we need to get done. 
If this describes you this morning or if this describes somebody close to you this morning, I want to encourage you that this is what the text is addressing for us today. Um, There's a Christian writer named uh, Christian uh, Winman who writes these words. He says, ask anyone how they are doing these days. And they are, if they are honest, most frequently they will say some form of busy or tired. We all feel that way sometime or another. So we are constantly trying to fill every hour, every minute, every second with accomplishments so that we are not running out of time. On one level, uh, if we don't have enough time, that's an issue. But here's the greater issue that the text addresses today. On another level, it is quite easy to feel like our lives are just a complete waste of time because we never have enough time. Uh, Most people can relate to the opening lines of the song, Five O'Clock World, the opening line simply says, up every morning just to keep a job, gotta fight my way through the hustling mob, sounds of the city pounding in my brain while another day goes down the drain. What the song is communicating is that another work day can easily be seen as another wasted day. As we read the second chapter of Colossians, or the second chapter of uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, Uh, This is the tone of the text. Uh, Solomon is essentially communicating that uh, when we have the wrong perspective on work, it is easy to think that our time at work is wasted time. Uh, Maybe Solomon never had to pull an all-nighter to finish a presentation for his boss. Maybe Solomon uh, never had to deal with a boss uh, who was working on his last nerve. Uh, Maybe Solomon never had to deal with the reality of a long commute. Maybe he didn't have a situation where he was overworked and underpaid. But just like us, the author of Ecclesiastes suffered with the reality of work and life balance. And as we approach our text today, we are going to look at work from a biblical perspective. We're going to look at work not from the perspective of the world or not from the perspective of your education or your degree. We want to look at work based upon the biblical perspective. We want to look at work based upon what God has already said, because what God has said will give us a foundation to stand on in every area of our lives. And the first thing we see is we need to consider how God uh, calls us to work. We need to consider the calling to work. Uh, Usually when we use the word calling, we are often referring to uh, someone who is being called to preach. Uh, I can remember being at Morehouse College, and uh, I was was struggling with this uh, call to preach. Uh, So much so that I was thinking about uh, changing my major from business to theology. I went to my pastor and I asked him uh, to pray with me and pray for me. And before too long, it had spread across the church that that little Colin Settles, that's what they call me back home, uh, was struggling with the call. Um, I can remember people looking at me different. I can remember people uh, looking at me funny as if I was uh, a unicorn now. Like it was, they, they couldn't talk to me regular. Now it was a uh, reverend or preacher or pastor. I'm like, I haven't even preached my first sermon yet and people are already changing. Uh, I, I say that not to simply be funny, but also I say it because uh, we need to look at the call from a biblical perspective. In my opinion, How people respond to the idea of being called to ministry reminds me that there is an unhealthy view of a vocational call to ministry. Uh, Even this morning, 
I think that we need to reconsider what the Bible is communicating when we see the word call. That the, the, that the Bible speaks about a call not simply to preach, but in the Bible, there, there's a call and there's a concept that goes deeper um, for each and every person who's a believer in God. It's deeper than your vocation. It's really a calling in life. We must understand that God calls people, number one, to be united with Christ. That the, that the major call on your life, the major and most significant call that you will have is to follow Jesus. That's why in Matthew 4.19, Jesus simply says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The calling to follow Christ lies at the root of every other calling. It's important not to confuse the call to follow Christ with the call to become a professional Christian worker. People in every walk of life are called to follow Christ with equal depth and sincerity and commitment. I want to say that again. All of us, every person in life, all people in every walk of life are called to follow Christ with equal depth and commitment. I'm called to, be, uh, to follow Christ not because I'm a pastor. I'm called to be committed to Christ not just because I'm a preacher. I'm not called to be more committed to Christ or to be more committed to the church because I'm a reverend. The depth of my relationship with God is not increased because I'm a preacher, which means that, that, that honesty and integrity should be in my life, not because I'm in ministry, because I'm, but because I'm a part of God's family. We need to understand and see that, that the call is not simply a call that is, that is reserved for this special elite group of people, but the call to follow Christ and the implications to the call must be weighed and wrestled with by every single believer. The number one calling in life is to follow Christ, and we know that Christ has called us to know him and to make him known. Here's how this practically plays out. As a as a husband, I'm not called to be faithful to Avita because I'm a preacher. I'm called to be faithful to, to Avita because my life is not my own, because I belong to Jesus. I'm called to walk in integrity, not because I'm in ministry, but because I'm a part of God's family. I don't curse her. I don't fuss at her. I don't shame her, not because I got to do better because I'm in ministry, I've got to do those things because I'm a part of God's family. It's easy for you guys to look up here at the guy at the pulpit, but I want you to know I'm looking back at you that the same expectation that you have for me, I have for you. <laughs> the same expectation that you have for me, let me say it this way, God has for you. So, so please do not think that that this is a situation where, you know what, man, I sure hope my preacher is not uh, stealing and cussing and fussing and drinking and acting a fool. When you acting a fool, drinking and cussing and fussing, acting a fool, it's applicable to all of us. We all are part of God's family. In the text, following Jesus is about knowing Christ and making him known. And before we can discuss God's guidance on any particular calling or vocation, we must first understand that God created people to work and God commands people to work. 
When you look at the Bible, God builds work into the essence of humanity. He creates people in his own image for a specific purpose. God places Adam in the garden, and he gives him a purpose to work the garden. All throughout scriptures, we see that from Genesis through Revelation that God calls people to work. Go with me just to a few passages. Genesis 2.15, we read it last week. We want to read it again. says very clearly, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Exodus 20, verse 9 says, Six days you will labor and do all your work. Uh, Isaiah, 55, uh, Isaiah 65, 21 says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and, and, and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of the days of a tree shall shall the days of my people be, and my chosen people uh, long should enjoy the work of their hands. Uh, Second uh, Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let them not eat. I, I cannot wait till my kids get old enough where I can put this up in the house. I'm going to post it all over the place. They're going to have to go get them a job. Ecclesiastes 2.24 simply says, there is nothing better for a person than he or she should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Here's the key. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Say it again. This toil is from the hand of God. The author in Ecclesiastes is telling us that work should be seen as something that we receive from God. So based upon the the passage, we need to see that everyone is called to work. And when we see this word called, we need to see it as created and commanded to work. God created you to work. God has commanded you to work. And even if God doesn't give you a specific uh, job offer, you need to understand that you need to wrestle with what God is calling you to do from a vocational standpoint. Vocationally, God may be calling you to do something different, but you need to understand that you are called to be a worker. I want you to touch your neighbor this morning and say this. Repeat after me. God has called you to get a job. Okay, that's number one. So first... First, we need to consider the biblical calling to work. But secondly, we need to consider the curse of work. Verse 18 says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Uh, Many people expect work uh, to give them a sense of purpose. That's why they are let down in their work. Um, It's not a coincidence that the first question that most people ask you is, well, what do you do for a living? Because we live in a culture that has connected a person's identity with what they do vocationally. I want to say a word here. What you do vocationally should never provide you an identity. My brothers and my sisters, if my identity is connected to what I do vocationally, then I have allowed my vocation to be in a place that is only reserved for Christ. 
If what you do becomes who you are, then what happens when what you do changes? If my identity is found in being a student, then what happens when I graduate? If my identity is found in being a parent, then what happens when my kids grow up? If my identity is found in a certain job or a certain title, then what happens when the job changes or the company gets bought out? If my identity is in being an athlete, then what happens when my eligibility is up? The more you read the book of Ecclesiastes, the more we recognize that work is the wrong place for you to try to find the meaning of life. That's why it's cursed. In the passage, not only did Solomon hate life, but he hated the wealth that was a result of his work. From the biblical record, we know that Solomon was already rich before he was born, but he received even greater riches because he was the king. And as he lived life, he looked under the sun, he began to speak to people about why the wealth that he, re- that he received uh, by working did not matter. He gave three simple reasons. Number one, he says, the wealth that I attained from work, he says, you cannot keep it. He says, I cannot keep the things that I have worked for. Reminds me of 1 Timothy verse, chapter 6, verse 7 says, if we brought nothing into this world, we could not take nothing out of this world. Look at the text. He says, you cannot take it with you. So it cannot give you happiness and cannot give you significance. There was an article recently uh, in the Wall Street Journal. I want to put it on the screen. says that money um, may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and a universal provider of everything except happiness. Second, we are told that, that money or the wealth that we receive by our work cannot be protected. Verse 19 says, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, the people who get the money after you leave it. It's bad enough that we have to, um, we have to work and we have to toil. He says, you're going to work and toil your whole life, and then you're going to have to pass it on to somebody who may just mismanage it. I mean, how many of us have known people who've gotten an inheritance and blown inheritance? Um, I have a personal story that I want to share so bad, but I don't want to share it because this sermon is going to be online, and I want a family member to think I'm taking a shot at them. But when you think about it, there's so many of us who waste our inheritance, and he's saying that what's the point in working all this time just to give it to somebody who's going to blow it? He says you can't keep what you work for. He says you can't protect what you work for. And lastly, he says you can't even enjoy what you work for. Verse 21 says, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone else who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? If we do this, if we approach life thinking that wealth will bring us happiness, we will ultimately become miserable. We spend days in travail. We spend days and nights in grief. We have experiences that are so futile. And Solomon is trying to tell us that we are silly if we think that work, will, if we think that work or wealth will bring us significance. Uh, leaving everything behind is bad enough, but there's a greater issue with work. In verse 23, he says, For all of his days are full of sorrow. 
and his work is vexation. He's saying that my job is hard. He's saying that what God is allowing me to do is rough. And when you think about life under the sun, it's easy for us to think about a person who is uh, in the hot heat, uh, burning up and, and working hard. But really, I would say the mental side of work is just as hard. I mean, how many of us have been at home and not even being able to sleep because we're thinking about the project that's due tomorrow. Or we're thinking about the meeting that didn't go well today. We're thinking about uh, the, the, the upcoming uh, report that's due. When you look at the text, so many times we do so much and we end up gaining so little. We're so consumed with work, we're so, much, we're so consumed with success that we're not even able to enjoy the life that God has given us. There is a, there's a story about a man named Warren Schmidt that was actually a 2002 film about his life. Uh, after his retirement, Schmidt looked at his life as an actuary of Omaha, of, uh, uh, in, Omaha Insurance Company, and he realized that little had been gained from his life. So he writes a letter to a poor, needy child that he had started to sponsor in Africa. And it says, I know we're pretty small in the big scheme of things. And I suppose the most you can hope for is to make some kind of difference. But what kind of difference have I made? What in the world is better because of me? Once I'm dead and everyone who knew me dies, it will be as if I never even existed. What difference has my life made to anyone? None that I can think of, none at all. Hope things are fine with you. Yours truly, Warren Schmidt. That's kind of a hard way to end the letter, but that's how he ended the letter. When you think about the question, it's a question that we need to ask, ask ourselves. What kind of difference is your life making? If everyone who knows you currently dies, does your legacy and your impact die with you? Like as a result of how you have lived your life, who has come to know Christ? What 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 uh, gospel imperative has been promoted because you have lived in a way that brings honor and glory to God? First, we need to consider the calling to work. Secondly, we need to consider the curse of work. It's empty and brings us nothing without God. And lastly, here's the encouraging part. Lastly, we need to consider the conviction in work or the conviction to work. Verse 24 says, There is nothing better for a person than he or she should eat and drink and find enjoyment in their toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat and who can have enjoyment. Verses uh, 24 and 25 have been described as a, an, an oasis of optimism in a wilderness of despair. These two verses in particular are a turning point in the book of Ecclesiastes, not just on the subject of work, but, but on, the, on the perspective of life. Uh, in the passage, the author is not giving us uh, an opportunity to give in to despair. The author is giving us the difference uh, concerning why we should not live in despair. Uh, the author is telling us that it makes the difference when God is at the center of life. Uh, far too many times we live as if God is an add-on in our lives. It's been... Um, fun but discouraging the past two weeks I've been looking for a car and um, 
Fun because I just like to go drive nice cars. And they, they treat you so nice, but discouraging because I can't afford none of the ones I'm driving. <laughs> but it's amazing to me, though, that, that there are so many add-ons and so many features on cars. Like once you choose the make and model, uh, then you have so many different decisions to add things on. You can add uh, nicer wheels and navigation and heated seats and a moonroof and satellite radio. And in life, if we're not careful, we can make God um, an add-on. We can make the gospel an add-on, right? Like after we pick the career, uh, after picking the mate, after picking the location to live, after deciding how many kids we want to have and where we want a vacation, then we want to add God on to make the ride a little smoother, right? We want to add on a little peace. We want to add on a little joy, as I'm living uh, the life that I have determined for myself, I want to add on a little favor. Like when I'm late to work, uh, I want to add on some grace, right? When I mess up something, I want to add on some mercy. When, when, when things are not going good, I want to add on God's ability to transform my situation. But here's the truth. God is not an add-on to make your life smoother. God is not something that you add to your life to make your life fuller. But God is the center of the life that gives our life meaning and significance. What Solomon is communicating in the text is not a carpe diem kind of attitude. He's not saying, I'm going to see something for myself, but he's saying, I'm going to receive something from God. Now, some have tried to say that, that verses 24 and 25 are a contradiction in the text, but in reality, I really believe that they are the key to understanding the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. What's being said is there, is there is simply vanity under the sun, but with a relationship with God, we can experience joy at the hand of God. In life, we must get to a place where we can appreciate both sides of the argument. If we simply live under the sun, there is nothing but emptiness, but if we have a relationship with God, we can experience a fulfilled and significant life. Uh, some people have read the passage and asked the question, well, T. Settles, what makes the difference? And to that person, I want to respond, it is God that makes the difference. Some people read the book of Ecclesiastes or even the Bible and attempt to conclude that God is the problem, that God is the issue, and that's not the case. God is not the problem, but God gives the answers and solutions to our problems. If frustrations with life are also frustrations with God, who gave us life, then usually we end up hopeless and depressed. But the passage is encouraging us that since we can only find true joy and true significance in our relationship with God, then we have to get to a place where if we are having trouble finding enjoyment in life, God must not be the center of the life we're living. If we are deeply dissatisfied, could it be that we have been taking things and making them ultimate things. Like a lot of times I'm depressed, I'm upset, I'm frustrated because I've made a good thing an ultimate thing, and that is unhealthy. Uh, it, it's been said that we were born with a deep longing to have something, to make something, or to do something that will last. Yet reality under, under the sun says we will spend our whole lives working to gain something that we cannot keep. In the text, Solomon is not advising for an eat, drink, and be merry kind of mindset. 
Uh, That is the philosophy of fatalism, not faith. Rather, he is saying, thank God for what you do have and enjoy what you do have for the glory of God. And I appreciate that. 1 Corinthians 10.31 simply says, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Even our work is a gift from God. When When we receive it as something from God's hands, that means for the believer in Christ, God is my true boss and God is my ultimate master who gave us life, who was willing to give his life for our sins. So whatever our job happens to be, whether we are a teacher or a writer or a police officer or a builder or a cook or a stay-at-home mom, we are working for Christ and his kingdom. To say it another way, we are working under the S-O-N, not simply under the S-U-N. That's why we're called to live our Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the Lord will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, not if you are in ministry, not if they treat you fair, not as long as they give you the promotion, Not simply when my spouse is making me feel loved, but whatever you do, do it with your whole heart. For men, no. For a boss, no. For a co-worker, no. For a spouse, no. To please people, no. Whatever you do, do it with your whole heart. Not unto men or women, but unto the Lord. That means that my vocation that if my vocation is outside the home, that whatever I do, I'm going to do it with my whole heart. Whatever I do, from cutting grass, from writing reports, whatever I do, I'm going to do it with my whole heart unto God. That means if I'm working inside the home, whatever I do, I'm going to do it with my whole heart. I you to pause for a second and just think about the text for a moment. How different would your attitude be tomorrow at work if you went into work trying to apply Colossians 3.23? Since, since we are there, let me, let, me just keep, let me just press on in a little bit harder. If, if you, as soon as the benediction is given and you get in the car and you're driving home and your spouse says something that offends you, how different would your response be if you were thinking about Colossians stuff? It's real. When your kids start acting a fool in about 20 minutes, how different would your response be? Tomorrow when you get to work and they try you, they come at you wrong, right? They try to blame you for something that you did not do wrong. How different would your response be if you lived out Colossians 3.23. Your commitment to church. How how different would your commitment to church be if you really were living out Colossians 3.23? Some might be saying, okay, pastor, I get it, I get it, I get it. 
I'm not simply living under the S-U-N. More importantly, I'm living under the authority of the S-O-N. But earlier in the text, you mentioned an inheritance. So, so tell me more about the inheritance. What is it that we receive for the life that we are living? Verse 26 gives us an answer. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. Here Solomon makes it very clear. He makes a very clear distinction between two kinds of people. Those who are under the favor of God and those who are separated from God. I want you to notice how those who please God are described as being grateful recipients of wisdom, knowledge, and joy. The pastor is telling us if we live for God's pleasure, we will be richly rewarded with all the blessings that God desires to give. On the other side, for the person that is separated from God, there is not a reward, but a life of gathering and collecting and acquiring only to know that they will lose everything that they've gained. Put a quote on the screen. That's why Jim Elliott simply says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Read that again. It is he who is no fool who gives what he cannot keep or what she cannot keep to gain what he or she cannot lose. You may be thinking like, Pastor, what in the world does that mean? It means when you surrender your life to Jesus, you gain eternal life. You give what you cannot keep. That's your mortal life. And you gain what you cannot lose. That's eternal life in heaven. You cannot keep your life. It doesn't matter uh, how much you work out or how healthy you get or how well you try to live. There is a true statement that there is a day appointed that every man must die. You are going to die. Period. Unless Jesus comes back to get you. Seriously. We are all going to die. But when we live life, we should live in such a way Understanding of what understanding what we have gained through Christ. The text is telling us through Christ we can gain something that we cannot lose. Through Christ we can gain an eternal relationship with God. What we gain is a new calling to focus on Christ. What we gain is an opportunity to know Christ and make him known. What we gain is an opportunity uh, to, is, to, is to make disciples. What we gain is the privilege of being a spiritual multiplier. What we gain is an opportunity to live out 2 Timothy 2.2 2, that simply says, What you have heard from me in the presence of faithful witnesses and trust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. I gain an opportunity to entrust what God has given me with people who will be willing to entrust it with other people, who will be able to entrust it to other people, who will be able to entrust it to other people. We literally gain the opportunity to pass the spiritual baton to people who will never know us or see us. Um, you guys don't know the names of Marshall Robinson or John Jeter or Byron Johnson or Johnson Jones. Uh, you don't know them, but those are men who poured into me. And now I am pouring into you. And what makes me most excited is one day you have an opportunity 
to pour into someone who will never, ever know the name Thomas Settles. And if you are faithful to the scriptures, if you are faithful to entrust the word of God in their life, here's the greatest thing. One day they will entrust it to someone who will never know your name, but they will know the name of Jesus. Like, that's why we do what we do. That's why we work. Like, that's why we strive. That's why we grind. That's why we do what we do, because we want more people to be entrusted with the gospel message who will one day entrust others with the gospel message. Now, if the gospel message is something that just is an add-on to your life, if it's something that you just, you know, casually and conveniently kind of come in and out, then that, that's not going to mean much to you. But if you understand how the gospel changes and transforms me, not just in eternity, but it transforms my life today, then that's going to be a really, really big deal to you. Chris can come on up, or the man can come on up. I'm getting ready to close. We have very, three very clear points of application for us today. Number one, when we think about our lives, we must first understand that God is calling us to do the hard work of figuring out what is most important. This week, you're going to get a lot of great calls. You're going to get a call from your boss. You're going to get a call from your coworker. You're going to get a call from your spouse. You're going to get a lot of calls that are significant, some of which that you need to make a very high priority. But the most important call that you will ever receive is the call to follow Christ. It's bigger than your job. It's bigger than your spouse. It's bigger than your kids. It's bigger than anything that you could ever obtain. So you, gotta, you, gotta, you need to settle in your heart that following Jesus has got to be at the top of the list. Secondly, we must do the hard work in identifying who we are versus what we do. I do a lot of preaching. I do a lot of pastoring. I do a lot of Bible studies. It's not who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm blessed to do what I do. I'm thankful I'm so grateful for God allowing me to do what I do. But there's going to come a day in time. I'm not going to be the chaplain in Georgia. I'm not going to be the pastor of this church. And in that moment, if my identity is in being the preacher and the chaplain, my identity is with UGA, and that, that's taken from me, then I'll lose myself. Who you are is more important than what you do. We spend our whole lives focusing on what we do. We go to school, we work hard, we grind hard, we try to build businesses, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as my vocation does not give me my spiritual identity. Thirdly, we must do the hard work of investing in others who will one day invest in others. It's the call of discipleship. It's the call to make disciples. And I want to say this very clearly. Man, I want you guys to invite people to church. I want you to tell people about Calvary. I hope next week you do not come without bringing a friend. I hope that's important to you. But I hope and pray that that never becomes more important than you having personal ministry for yourself. When you leave this building and you understand that God is calling you to not make people a project, but God is calling you to invest your life in other people. 
There are people who are searching for answers, who are struggling, who are having a hard time dealing with life, and here we have the answers. And here we have an opportunity to come alongside people, not to preach down at them, not to point the finger at them, but we have an opportunity to love and impact and invest in them. But instead of doing that, we want to talk about the Super Bowl. We want to talk about uh, politics. We want to talk about uh, all these other things other than talking about what can ultimately change and transform their life. So I, so I don't know about you, but this message was, was for Thomas Settles. I need to consider some different things. Like, I need to really ask myself some tougher questions. Because I don't want to get to the end of my life and recognize that my life was a bunch of toil, that my life was wasted. I I want my life to be invested. I want my life to matter. I I want my life to be lived in such a way, not that people will praise me, but so that the baton of faith will be passed so that people who will never, ever know me can run the race of faith and be transformed for eternity. And that is not just for the preachers. That is for every single believer. Whether or not you accept that call is between you and God. But as your pastor, I'm responsible for reminding you of that call. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to respond. I thank you for giving us the, um, giving us your word that has given us the opportunity to see exactly how we can live a life that matters. God, as we get ready to leave, I pray that we would continue to wrestle with the message. And God, I pray that we will continue to follow and pursue the messenger Jesus. God, thank you for that call to follow you. God, let us take it seriously this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.